Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Get Your Smith Together, a podcast brought to you by the Lazarus Center for Career Development at Smith College. My name is Patty Woods, and I'm a career advisor in the Lazarus Center. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Layla Ramirez, Smith College class of 2009, Harvard Business School graduate, and currently the Senior Program Manager on the Inclusion, Diversity, and Equity team at Amazon Web Services. I'm thrilled to be talking to uh, Layla today about the topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and what it means to work in this space, and lessons learned as an undergraduate first-generation college student of color. Layla, thank you so much for being here today. It is my pleasure, Patty. Thank you so much for your introduction. And I just have to say, for the folks that are listening, Patty has been with me since the beginning. It's been more than 10 years and she's still here. So I just want to give you a quick shout out before we jump in. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, I obviously remember you so much as an undergraduate. It's just incredibly inspiring to see um, what you've done based on your dedication and hard work. So this is this is awesome to, to reconnect. Um, and I can think of no better person to speak to about this topic because you're working in the field right now of inclusion, diversity, and equity. And I feel like this topic was of utmost importance to you as a student as well. And what I'm noticing, which is really, really great, is that the the, um, DEI term, the diversity, equity, and inclusion, I'm seeing all over the place, which is awesome. Um, And also it's so big and feels abstract and um, it means so many things to so many people. And I'm curious if you can share with us what your sort of um, definition of, of this is and why it's important to you. Yeah, so I think um, in in the spirit of keeping things simple and sort of being able to frame the conversation, I'll say, you know, I'll quote my um, my boss when I was at Netflix um, uh, uh, for her on on this definition. So uh, she and her name is Renee Myers, and and she is uh, noted for calling or for his, for referring to diversity and inclusion as you know diversity being um, asked or invited to the party, and then inclusion is being asked to dance. Um, as someone from a Latinx background, partying and dancing is very much in line with, you know, what we do, but often, you know, uh, having a different perspective, you're not necessarily even privy to where the parties are, or, you you know, you get to the parties and then you're like, not necessarily, you're like standing against the wall because you don't know anyone. And so really, you know, on a more serious note, when I think about my work, it really is um, leveraging all the access, all the, you know, we'll call it. Um, privilege, which is, you know, relational or, um, or is, you know, contextual, leveraging all the all the blessings that I have been given and all the opportunities that I have to really fight the fight of the underrepresented or the underestimated, right? And that's across the board, right? So, you know, when you think about um, ID&E across the globe, you know, these terms don't necessarily resonate, but people do understand what it's like to be, you know, part of an in-group or an out-group, being a part of the dominant culture versus the non-dominant culture. And so really it's just this idea that, you know, there are stratifications 
And it just doesn't have to be that way, right? There's a there's a way to envision a better future. And so um, essentially fighting the fight of the underrepresented or the underestimated is what gets us there. Yeah. So can you can you actually give me an example of what that looks like um, on a practical level of like fighting that fight for inclusion um, while in working in your team, in your um, inclusion, diversity and equity team? What does that work sort of look like? Is there a practical example that you can share? Yeah, maybe what I'll do is I'll give you some examples um, on each one of those sort of terms, right? So I, D, and E. Um, so, and maybe we'll start with diversity first because that's that's the easy, the more visible one. So diversity, fighting the fight of the underrepresented, if you will, is, um, I'll just call out, you know, there's no reason why, you know, if uh, uh, folks um, from underrepresented backgrounds or, you know, people of color represent 30% of the population of the United States, there's no reason why in corporate America, um, less than 3% of uh, executive positions or CEOs positions are going to people of color, right? So that is one, fighting the fight of the folks who are in corporate America and underrepresented in the management ranks, if you will, of organizations and, and or, you know, and that's across different fields, right? So now I'm in tech. I was in biotechnology before. I was in media and entertainment before, and I saw the same across the board. So that's sort of like on the diversity front. When we think of it from the perspective of like inclusion, it's um, I'm gonna leverage like a design, a design example here. So um, when you are essentially walking down the street as someone who may have a different ability, right, or someone who is disabled, you really don't ever um, you are consciously aware of where the elevator entrances are, where you know the 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 sidewalk sort of come down so that you can easily sort of come come off of the sidewalk and into the street as you're crossing the street. Um, and so when we think about how we design the world around us and how we interact with spaces and places, um, if we don't have the perspective of someone who has a different ability than us uh, in mind as we're designing, you know, streets and and buildings and um, office spaces, those people have to uh, essentially they, they're not, their perspective isn't included. And so they, they have a different experience, one that is exclusionary and one that lets them know this wasn't designed with you in mind, right? So that's on the inclusion end of things. And when we think about equity, equity is really, is not, um, equity is more around making sure that everyone has a fair chance, right? So this is the idea that we are uh, taking into consideration some of the setbacks or some of the, how lack of access in the past may impact um, someone's ability to show up as their best self in, in, in their current sort of situation. And what that might look like is, you know, when you think about equity in terms of education, um, folks that are coming from under-resourced institutions and may not have had access to um, the AP calculus or the AP US history courses and then enter a college environment, they are underprepared. And so as an institution who is equitable, you would incorporate programs to help cover that gap, right? And you would create it such that it is um, encouraging and fostering and nurturing a level of confidence and a preparedness for those people who are coming from what might have been an under-resourced institution. This, I mean, the fact that the institution was under-resourced has no bearing on whether this person is capable or able to succeed. And as an institution, it's important for you as to know, okay, so there's a gap here. 
this is the role that I can play in addressing that gap to level the field so that this person has a fair shot, just like someone who might have come from a more well-resourced institution. So those are sort of three examples, long-winded, but no. I wanted to make sure that we were on the same page. That is so, this is, this is really, really incredibly help, helpful to hear and to break it down with those concrete examples. That was, that was wonderful. Thank you so much. That was super helpful for me um, to hear how you think about it. And it, it really resonates. Um, so great, great examples. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit um, and talk a little bit, you know, if you can, Think back to your undergraduate years, um, and um, you know what. What advice would you give to a Smithy or any college undergraduate student uh, within an affinity group that may have felt or is feeling marginalized at any point during their educational journey? Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna. I could go so many different ways with this, but it's on my heart right now to just say. Um, First and foremost, that if it's hard, is because if it feels hard, is because it is right. Um, what's what's going on and what you're experiencing is essentially. I mean, I, I I refer to it sort of like when we think of like a butterfly, where you know a butterfly starts off as like a as a caterpillar and then enters this cocoon and then emerges a butterfly never to return into being a cocoon uh, into being a caterpillar again. And what's happening is not just that your environment is changing, that you are evolving, but there are also external forces that are at play that are creating what is, you know, you could call it a pressure cooker or you could call it um, a really sort of intense uh, growth environment. And um, more than anything, what I want to do is validate that the experiences are real, they are hard, and that they actually do benefit you as you think about going forward. Um, it's important to continue to invest in your sense of self and reject the things that don't align with who you are, where you want to go. So really, this is more of like an empowerment message. Um, so I want to validate that the experiences are truly, you know, as they are experienced, and then also just empower you to know that those experiences are, um, there's a way to sort of, to draw blessings from any of the experiences that you have. And to just keep on going, just keep on keeping on, as I like to say. Um, so that's, that would be my advice. That's awesome. And I love um, the butterfly comment. Uh, you know, I think there's a, there's a joke about that. You know, the, the caterpillar does all the work and uh, the butterfly gets all the credit, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, but listen, they, they're coming from the same place, right? So it's almost like a handoff. Yes. You can't have one without the other, right? So yes. um, to a certain extent, it's like, you know, the, the, the means justify the ends to a certain extent. Yes. And um, when you talk about that, you know, kind of lessons learned and the empowerment, um, can you can you sort of talk about a moment where you felt that your background as a first generation college student was um, served in, as an asset for you, whether it was an undergraduate or during your time at uh, HBS or in your any of your professional roles? Man, across the board, like I could, I mean, I guess since we're speaking to um, 
so Smithies, uh, I'll speak to when I was at Smith and then um, maybe one example from a professional context, but um, being at Smith, uh, my my background served as an advantage when it came time for me to essentially forge my own path. I think I was the first um, student academic advisor in the Office of Multicultural Affairs. I'm not sure if that's what it's called at this point, yes. but um, so what that meant was I was drawing from the depths of my, we could call it lack of access from my, um, you know, I went to an exam school and so I was prepared for the rigor of Smith, but not necessarily for the social um, environment. And um, so I was drawing from from all of my experiences when we think about being underrepresented, being Latinx, you know, not being someone who is coming from um, a wealthy background. Uh, in fact, my mom, um, my mom, you know, we grew up low income, right? And we grew up on public assistance. So coming to Smith, um, I was able to draw on all that to create a sense of community and belonging for incoming students, right? And that was from as early as, you know, my sophomore year. And thank God, you know, that there are amazing people like you, Patty. And, you know, at the time, her name was um, Mentha Hines, the lady who ran the Office of Multicultural Affairs. And she she saw something in me. And she just knew that, like, if I put this person in the right position, um, this could be a force multiplier across this campus. And that's ultimately how it ended up working out. Um, so I worked in, you know, the Office of Multicultural Affairs during the academic year, um, helping to advise uh, women who identified with my background and then also participated in, like, the bridge program and for two years, actually, back to back. Uh, to help essentially bridge that gap between, you know, going from home to, you know, the Smith environment and not essentially trying to reframe the narrative, one from what can often come across to um, folks from underrepresented backgrounds as like, there's something wrong with you, right? Because you have to do all these remedial classes and you have to do all these programs. Mm. Um, but changing the narrative from that to one of, here are your competitive or comparative advantages, right? Here is where your resilience, where your you know cognitive flexibility, where your ability to sort of speak multiple languages and to you know to be effective in multiple contexts, this is a place or this is how you can leverage that to your benefit in this environment. So it's one of more, more sort of reframing the narrative from one of, uh, of lack, if you will, to one of like advantage. Awesome. Okay, that's, that's incredible. Super, super helpful. Um, and it's just so crazy, you know, what you did in undergrad. It's, um, it, I just feel like it's 3.0 or, you know, now you're doing that, but on such a broader scale. It's crazy yeah. to look back and see uh, the thread that's connected everything together. Um, so it's, it's awesome. Uh, and I'm kind of curious on sort of the flip side. Um, when people don't get it, when they're just kind of like, what is this um, DEI? Um, how would you advocate for its importance to people who just don't understand and don't get it? Yeah, that's a great question. So first, let me just say that that's probably one of the most demoralizing aspects of uh, of this work, because it's almost like with every conversation like that, where someone doesn't get it, you are really making a case for, for your humanity, right? Mm -hmm. And it sounds like, I mean, if it sounds like it, you know, it feels degrading, or it doesn't, you know, elicit any, you know, 
good feelings is because it doesn't. But as a professional, you know, one of the things that one of my strengths is compartmentalization. And um, I essentially, it's almost like I'm no longer in my shoes. And really, I try to take on the perspective of the person that I'm talking with or that I'm speaking with. And I try to get really personal, right? So I say, you know, one of the million dollar questions that I ask, you know, as I'm training across the world is, you know, have you ever felt excluded in any context, right? And once I can um, connect with those feelings of exclusion, in that person's own experience and in their own context, then from there I can frame a conversation of like, well, the feelings are exactly the same. And I'm sure that we could have a conversation about like that exclusion that you felt may have been, may have been, uh, may have hinged upon a misunderstanding or a lack of appreciation for something of your background or some something about who you were, or maybe a lack of experience, right? And so from there, it gets a lot easier and it becomes a lot more accessible to people. Um, so really, the, the, the short of it is really, in order to break through to someone who doesn't really understand, it's important to see through their eyes and then personalize it. Um, and that is the, that's the work. It takes an incredible amount of, like I would say, capacity, empathy, um, and just humility, right, to be able to achieve something like that. Um, and it's amazing to see, right, I've trained over 400 people, right, across the globe. Um, and to see breakthroughs of folks in, you know, in India and in China and in Japan and in the US, it's just amazing. Like the expressions on their faces are just exactly the same when finally, people finally get it. So um, that's sort of like what keeps me engaged, but also like also the hardest part, right? So to your point about the flip side. Wow, yeah. I mean, hearing you talk about that, um, you know, first off, you know, thank you for your honesty, yeah. maturity and professional <laughs> professionalism, even answering that very uh, difficult question. And then you just hit the nail on the head with talking about what's involved in the work you do of having to explain it, teach it and take people to an, a new uh, level of awareness. So uh, that's incredible. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, what advice would you give to a Smithy looking to work for a employer who values um, inclusivity, diversity, and equity? How do you know, oh, how does, you know, when a, when a Smithy is thinking, you know, I, I obviously want to work for an employer who values these things. Um, and how do you know if they really walk the walk uh, versus just talk the talk? Oh man, that's such a loaded question considering, you know, the environment that we're in right now, um, because there's a lot of noise, right? Um, let me see. So I would say my immediate thoughts go to, you know, have they made public commitments with numbers attached to them, mm -hmm. right? So I'll, I'll point out, for example, and I'm not, and that's not to say just because they make the commitments publicly doesn't mean that it's like going to be, it's going to happen overnight. But a good example that comes to mind for me is like the CEO at Salesforce who committed to closing the, the gap, the, um, the pay equity gap at Salesforce one year. Um, and I think he spent over like $10 million trying to do that. And then the next year they ended up with the same gap. And so he spent money again to get it done again. And so my point is 
that the leadership of uh, an organization and how far they're willing to go in terms of making those commitments and closing gaps and um, reshaping culture and institutions will we'll tell you a lot. That's the first thing, right? The, the public commitments. The second thing I would say is, and this is more of a nuanced thing and something that you would ask like in an interview, things like, you know, uh, what at what rate are folks of different backgrounds accelerating or advancing in their careers, right? Do they have that data to share? Um, if they don't know the data and they don't know where the problems are, it's safe to assume that they're not even, they're not really sure, they're not really at the path where they're actioning these things. And so that, that can give you an indication there. And then the last thing that I'll mention is there's, um, there is uh, a usefulness to being aware of what um, employee resource groups exist and whether these organizations are funded and whether they're properly sponsored internally like are these you know employee resource groups that emerged really in the advent of George Floyd and they're in a scramble trying to you know step it up or are these employee resource groups that were sort of like so I can I mean at at Netflix for example these are grassroots organizations right and at Amazon these are their affinity groups but they are sponsored by executives like the CFO is on a couple of them and so that makes a difference because um your, uh, when you think about making strides in terms of, you know, fighting the good fight, it's important to have those senior executive allies paving, not paving the way, but essentially holding the line, right? And create establishing a context uh, where these efforts can flourish. So those are probably the three key things that I would point to. Um, and I mean, I think I will just be honest, right? I, ID&E is in vogue right now. This is sort of like the, this is what, this is the trend, right? And so when I say that there's noise, there is noise, right? So do your homework um, and, um, and, and don't get caught up in the hype. Okay, uh, that's so super helpful. Um, and so kind of wrapping it up, this has been so incredibly helpful and useful. Can you tell us a little bit about what's in what's in store for you and your future? Um, and I, I heard you might have been putting together a little publication of some sort. Oh, yes. Oh, what's in store in my future? Oh, my God. So that could go so many different ways. So um, I'll hit the, the publication first. So I am, you know, as someone who has been in inclusion work uh, for as long as I've been and just being someone from, you know, first generation professional, underrepresented background, low income, like all the, all the things, right? Essentially, I'm like the poster child for like, if you want to hit all the like several, several, you want to check several boxes as an institution in order to sort of advance uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, like I'm, I'm your person. Um, I'm writing a book, essentially getting at, um, essentially reframing this narrative, like I mentioned earlier in one of my um, responses around what it's like to be a first generation professional and how that experience is more of a comparative advantage when we think about leadership um, and the inclusive leadership that we're going to need to get to through the next phase, right, of growth and expansion um, as in the future. Changing the narrative from uh, being one of a deficit, right, which is often what you might uh, experience or what, how you might receive certain um, 
if you will, like programs or certain um, benefits from institutions. So really that I'm working on that book. That's one thing I, um, I'm about two or not just not yet three months into my new role at Amazon uh, Web Services. And so I'm still coming up to speed there and really looking forward to designing what will be like a it will be a development experience, if you will, right, for folks from um, underrepresented backgrounds across the entire employee life cycle. Um, and so, you know, this is a more tech oriented and by tech, I mean, like technical, like having the hardcore computer science skills and then also on the on the business and being able to understand that. Um, so this is this is this feels like a new career to me, really, in terms of like how deep into this technology I, I'm going to have to get to truly be able to speak to the experience of being um, someone who is underrepresented or underestimated in that context. So that is the next thing for me. And then the third thing, because, you know, I can't not <laughs> overfill my plate. Um, I am really now starting to scratch the surface of beginning to um I'm going to say two things. First, make my money work for me. And then second, invest in the people and the ideas that I really care about. And so what that looks like is me sort of beginning to ask questions and um, explore venture capital and private equity and, you know, reaching back to some of those networks I had when I was like in Wall, uh, on Wall Street. Um, really to understand, you know, what the opportunities are and, you know, the HBS uh, network and the Smith network are just phenomenal. Like it's like you inherit an entire family of people who are just like ready to answer the phone and answer your questions um, whenever you call. And so that's been really incredible and um, encouraging for me. So that's the third piece of things that I'm doing. But for anyone who must know, right, on my vision board this year, <laughs> the 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 theme of my vision board this year was to do less, right? <laughs> do less. <laughs> And that's, that's as far as, that's how, that's, that's my flavor of do less, right? So new career, new book, uh, new venture. So, um, so take that for what you might, <laughs> for what you will, but that's what I got going on. That's oh, wow. Yeah. Layla, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> what a privilege it has been to talk to you today. You've made me and Smith so, so proud. And uh, we can't wait to see where you go from here. Um, thank you so much for the important work that you do and for um, generously donating and uh, to time to, to, to talk to, to us today. Um, thank you. It has been my honor and my privilege. And Patty, you know, I'll do anything for you. And I'm excited to take you along with me and take Smith with me and all the Smithies who reach out really. Anyone who wants to stay with me on this journey, I'm happy. Always an open book. And I really, y'all, I don't have anything to hide. So I put it all, I live it out loud. So wonderful. Okay. Thank you, Layla. Talk soon. Thank you. Definitely. Bye. Bye.